Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the show. I hope you all are doing fantastically well out there, staying safe and staying active, hopefully. Today, I'm extremely excited to talk to my buddy, Mr. Josh Kimball from the band Dogwood. Josh and Dogwood were extremely kind to myself and my band, Game Time. They took us out on the road with them in 2003, and we had all sorts of fun. I remember watching them every night, and I really learned a lot from those guys, and there was a lot of really great shows and fun times. Josh is currently the executive chef for Harvard kitchen out of San Diego, California. We talk about the cross-pollination of food, being in a band, and punk rock. We discuss what it's been like to collaborate with some of our favorite artists, with music, as well as the podcast. And be sure to check out his podcast, The Family Cast. It's a wonderful show. I've listened to a lot of the episodes, and I'm definitely going to listen to them all. He's got about 33 episodes up currently. This was a lovely conversation. I'm so glad I was able to speak to Josh. He's a very sweet, kind, and humble person. So without further ado, please enjoy this multiple topic convo with Mr. Josh Kimball from the band Dogwood. Special nature wearing thin I can't seem to begin What really do I see When I step back at me As crushing time reveals my foe Inheriting a woe Solutions in the back yep. Josh Kimball Yellow How are you, sir? I'm great Good to see awesome. you, man Yeah, you too It has been a minute <laughs> For sure Got your Wikipedia pulled up just so I don't oh, forget no. album titles. Oh no. <laughs> Wikipedia. Have you ever looked at this thing? I'm always curious. I try not to. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Yours is short. At the very least, it's very brief, you know? Yeah. So there's not much room for tons of airs, but I'm always curious. Because some of these are really well curated, <laughs> and you have to wonder if the band members have gotten in there and started messing around with stuff. Right. Well, I personally have friends who go on Wikipedia for different pages and make things up for fun, because yes. you can. So yeah. uh, I tend to not believe everything on there, but oh, you know, absolutely. There's, there's some accuracy, but I guess, I guess here we are at the source. Yeah. <laughs> for, for that piece, yeah. We'll see. We'll, we'll put it to the test. Absolutely, man. How are you doing today? Doing good. Early on my time, I guess. Uh, not super early, but like before I go to work. So that's good. Got yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 924 there. It's 1124 here. Yeah. That gives me a little bit more leeway being in the Midwest. Sure. Yeah. So what time do you usually start working? I'm just curious. Oh, it varies uh, depending on events and, and what we have to do prep wise or anything like that. So Cool. You know, food food orders come in. I got kids that have to go to school early. So, I mean, get, get them out the door by 730 in the morning. So we're up early making breakfast and making sure that everything's ready and stuff like that. So not, awesome. Not, we're always yeah. up early. It's just working is a little bit later. 
Yeah, I can kind of relate to that. I start usually midday and then I'm mm-hmm. gone until the evening, mm. the four days that I train. So I completely understand my business partner. We have a small studio space and he's an early riser and all of his people are very, very early. So it kind of worked out during COVID where we nice. split it up so that we weren't on top of each other because our space is pretty small. It can get kind of packed to doing two sessions at one time, but during COVID, we just split it up. So I've been doing mid to evening, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. But it's the same thing. I get up early here because my partner, she's got two young kiddos. So Uh I'll get up and chat with them for a second. Then they go to school and I've got a little bit of time to kill. Yeah, you can do podcasts and stuff. Exactly, right? Yeah, man. You as well. Congratulations on the podcast. I really enjoy it. I've been listening to a lot of the episodes getting caught up. Yeah, I listened to your episode with David from Growing Up Punk. And I actually just talked to Aaron a few weeks back. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I mean, when I first started doing this, it was a good excuse to just hit up people I haven't talked to in forever. And (laughs) we, my old band Game Time, we were fortunate enough to tour with you guys a little bit. I believe it was 2003. Yeah, probably. It was a short tour, but a lot of fun. We were huge, huge Dogwood fans. If you go back and you look at our original artwork for our first EP, we just completely ripped off the artwork of Building a Better Me. I need to to post that because I I didn't have a copy of it for the longest time. And then somebody sent Mm -hmm. it to me the other day and I was like, oh my gosh. That looks exactly like Dogwood record that we were all really into. Dang. So yeah, Dogwood. Yeah. That was a big part of your life. You guys started in 1993? (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Dogwood officially was a little bit after that because we changed the name, but the band members started getting together and playing straight out of high school. And then I started shortly thereafter. I didn't realize We're the young. first iteration had Josh from The Beautiful Mistake in it. Yeah, he's the he was kind of the leader of the charge for all the, you know, all these bands. So he rounded us all up and got us to <laughs> got us to play. But, you know. I mean, you were cool. I feel like you were pretty young when we were playing with you too, right? Yeah, in 2003 I was 19, 18 turning okay, yeah. 19. Yeah, so that's about yeah. the same age I was. Okay, cool. Awesome, yeah. man. And then you originally were you the singer originally or did you yeah, originally have to become I was always well, quote unquote singer, but um, yeah, I was always doing vocals. <laughs> right. I was the, the guy to do that. So that was my whole, actually, I, I mean, I've never officially been in any other bands while I was doing Dogwood. I mean, I was doing Dogwood the whole time. And then when Dogwood stopped playing, I, that's when I just kind of kept doing music as St. Didicus. So it's mainly just been Dogwood stuff for my whole life. Yeah. St. Didicus, I just started not too long ago, just, just so I can keep writing music with people and people involved, either they were involved with Dogwood, either in the band or just people who I knew for from the bands and i mean i've even reached out to other people who i've never met and said do you want to do this or whatever so it's all kind of compilation collaborative kind of kind of music so it's been yeah. a fun process yeah so it's not That's really right. stuck to like the you know it doesn't have to be a dogwood song or sound so it's kind of fun like that That's awesome, man. Yeah, there's very low barrier to entry when it comes to music creation these days, you know, just with so many forms of technology and being able to spitball ideas back and forth and send files back and forth. It's nice to be able to collaborate with other people, you know, like if you want to do a guest vocal spot or something, all you got to do is record your loose tracks and you can send them off and somebody else can mix it and somebody can dump it into a song and a Pro Tools session. I've been doing that a lot. Yeah, like guest vocal stuff because other people have songs and I can just, if they, especially if they have the part written for me in words or whatever, I can just kind of sing that. It's a lot easier to do it that way to, Hey, do you want to do this? Sure. Send me your ideas and I'll make it happen. You know, it's quicker. That's awesome. Just, it's quicker to just have me sing, <laughs> sing on something and for me to write a whole song, ask musicians to play and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. So if you ever have any music you want me to sing, I'll just send it over. <laughs> Dude, I may hit you up, man. I love your okay. voice and I think it would be really cool. Game Time actually just released a new song after 17 years on Friday. Oh, yeah. 
it's game yeah time. so i think we're gonna do another one we've been having a lot of fun with it creating in the studio again yep. we've got a buddy who's doing it at his house and he's got a ton of gear he's worked at guitar center for over a decade so he's collected a lot of cool stuff and mm-hmm. he's just really well versed in recording at this point he's been working on a lot of local bands oh, cool. music and stuff and it's come out really really well do you have any recording gear i mean i do i, I have enough to do like my vocals on on stuff and what do you uh, use so I just record right into, I mean, I have a few different microphones. I got a blue mic here that I'm using now. I got my sure, you know, stage mic that my standard SM, yeah. and then a couple other condenser mics that people have given me. And I got a, mi- a mixing board that I can or can't use. And then just kind of go through a, a USB box into the, like a Scarlett 212, 2i2 into the computer that way. So it can be really simple. And then I can send it right into, and then I send it to somebody else who has a professional gear to, to mix and stuff like that. You know, Absolutely, man. Danny. yeah, Danny has I love a full it. studio set up. Yeah. So he records me a lot. I mean, I use BandLab for if I want to do something real quick, I can record right into my phone mic, just kind of send the idea and then yeah. touch it up in the studio too. So what about a DAW? Do you have Pro Tools or are you using Logic? I don't even have Pro Tools. Yeah, GarageBand and BandLab are my only kind of keep it simple. And then if I re- if I you know need to touch it up, I'll go to somebody who has a studio, you know, one of my friends yeah. has a garage studio, but, but Danny has a full studio set up. So if I really want to get it dialed in, I can go to his studio. If okay. It's time to record me. So what does he use? Got, uh, he has everything. I think it's called Aura. Uh, this mm-hmm. new one. Is that right? And then yeah. he's got all the logic stuff. Is that right? Yeah. I'm, I'm a beginner, but I'm pretty sure it's called Aura, but that's the one he's, we've been using a lot lately. He's really good at that. Cool. That's awesome. All, all kinds of mics and other things for me to toy with. <laughs> Very cool. And you guys are down in San Diego? Yep. Still in San okay. Diego. Yeah. The hat gives it away. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was born. Yeah, I knew in Missouri, you guys were but, from California, you know. but I wasn't quite sure which part. Oh yeah, we're. I'm kind of close to the Mexican border, and I mean, San Diego in general is. So we. I never really. I moved away a couple times for different work jobs and stuff like that, but we're always coming back. Always back yeah. to San Diego. Well, it might be the best place in the United States, really. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's got its pluses for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the weather was just always amazing and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I love that city in general. There's a lot of cool stuff to do. And there's a lot of, I mean, even if you're just going for the weekend and you just want to see the sights and see some of the touristy stuff, it's cool in that regard too. We didn't really do that in the band days, but I've been back a couple of times since. Okay. And it's always fun to go down there. Totally. Yeah. It's a lot different than Kansas city and that Midwest area, you know? Oh Yeah. Yeah, a little bit for sure. A little bit different. <laughs> yeah, completely different. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. in Lawrence, Kansas right now. This is where I live. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. Been there many times. I work in KC, which is about 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So I commute four days a week. But yeah, way different. I miss California all the time <laughs> for sure. Was Danny in the band? Yeah. Yeah. He was on, what did he he play? Was on tour. He was our t- guitar player when we when you and I were on tour together. That's um, right. Okay. Yeah. And he was also on the last on the seismic record, the last one on Tooth and Nail. Yeah. So and that's what you guys were touring at the time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. My memory is a bit fuzzy from. Well, it was a long time then. ago. Yeah. 2003. That's crazy to think that was 17, 18 years ago now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. Also, I mean, we don't have to go through the whole history of Dogwood, but I think it's kind of <laughs> fascinating. You were actually on two record labels before Tooth and Nail. You were on Face Down and then you were on Rescue as well. Yeah. Rescue for sure for two, like two and a half records you know an ep and face down was actually after we got signed to tooth nail we did a face down record so okay we had one one out on tooth nail and then fa- the face down one came out that was funny because it was just the timing of it tooth nail i don't i don't know if they didn't want that record or what but i was friends with face down guys so they did it and that's why it's called this is not a new album because we had kind of already done it independently right i see self-titled yeah. um and we had you know a limited run of those cds this is pre-vinyl or at least not pre-vinyl but like 
people weren't really doing vinyl as much. And uh, yeah, yeah, FaceTime was like, oh, well, we can do that record. Sure. I was like, yeah, let's just do it. And <laughs> awesome, <laughs> man. What year did you guys get signed to Tooth and Nail? The year must have been. Hmm, 97 90, 97 or 98 yeah 97 okay or 98 yeah yeah and then more than conquerors came out in 99 mm-hmm. and yeah. i believe that's where i first heard you guys i heard you guys on a compilation at first oh, cool. like most bands okay. back then yeah, yeah. yeah but we were huge fans of that record i know kyle kummer specifically he really liked the lyrics and it's funny because i was listening to building a better me in my car on the way to work yesterday uh-huh. and it, it had been a little while since i'd listened to that record but i love that record it just still sounds so good Oh, like for being a record that came out in 2000, the lyrics are really timely. I'm curious, did those things come out naturally or did you have to really work for those lyrics? Because I feel like those lyrics are a little ahead of their time. Oh, thanks. I mean, Sean, Sean wrote a lot, wrote a good majority of the lyrics, Sean, the guitar player for the, Sean O'Donnell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think we had been writing those songs for the whole More Than Conquerors tour and then on the road. So we were writing, we were writing them all together. So we were writing about experiences on the road in life and church and school because um sean was also young when he joined the band and then so we were writing about i guess they're timely because I w- i've always been trying to f- figure out what's happening in the world and struggling with all the how to be a good person during so much chaos uh, in in my own life or in the nation or in the world and it's hard to do that of course so let me cram all these thoughts into a two-minute punk song and and see yeah what we can do from there so yeah so it's whether it's like internal struggles or, or mental health capacities or anything like that how does a 20-year-old view the world as far as changing the world or changing yourself. I don't know. Yeah. And then my, you know, your viewpoints growing up as a kid, the teenager to adult, some stuff hasn't changed as far as the way I see people that I, I feel like people could be good if they really tried to be, but a lot of people just give up on that and go for one side or the other, you know, like those kind of things, yeah. a lot of divisiveness. And and I just kind of always wrote about that and called people out <laughs> for better or worse. And so, yes. Uh, so I can think of some, some of the songs in particular, are like, you know, they weren't necessarily politically minded when I wrote them. But now if you look at the lyrics, like, whoa, I, you know, now I could put that on this kind of ongoing issue with, you know, divisiveness or whatever the case may be. Or yeah. So I think that in in the year 2000, especially there was a lot of tumult in our nation with, you know, we weren't totally like a political band per se, but I always had my eyes and ears on what was happening around the, around the country and how people were already starting to like divide themselves and stuff like that. You know, I was like, I was always like eye rolling, like, Oh my gosh, you guys come on. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we can get on team human and not tear ourselves apart. But I also think there's necessity going back to what you were saying about just trying to be a good person. There's necessity, I think, in trying to be a good person, you know, in the interest Mm -hmm. of societal cooperation, there is utility in being a good person because I used Mm -hmm. to be a fairly cynical person especially like in young adult days after the game time days back when i was a teenager i wasn't thinking of worldly themes like that or even what my value system as a person was Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what i hear when i listen to that record it's like you're establishing your value system and you're kind of putting your foot in the sand and saying no this is this is how i'm going to live my life or this is how i want to try to live my life trying to support me Yeah. And I think we even had a loose conversation back then about that. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I think we had a conversation where we were talking about personal value systems and personal Mm -hmm. values that you live your life in accordance by. And I think about that often, but it makes sense from listening to those early Dogwood records that you were being introspective, but it also had the layer of 
looking at the world as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have societal responsibilities, but also individual responsibilities to try to be better for our people around us. And then hopefully that is something that springboards out and it's a bit of a ripple effect that Mm -hmm. moves beyond us because it's not just all about us. Hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. And you're right. The lyrics, it's funny how Sometimes I'll listen to a record and it feels more timely now than it did when I first heard it. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of cool too, because it kind of travels hearing, with you're the times. It with your, yeah, your ears might be more mature now. You can hear, I guess, the message or, I mean, yeah, we always had a message, some kind of message to give to people. And most of it was like positive and hope-based, but also, you know, growing up in the church, it's like, you see a lot of things that I don't, I didn't necessarily agree with, you know, and I, I could see why a lot of people kind of from that scene would like go away from that scene or, you know, dissolve their faith or whatever, because there's a lot of hypocrisy and garbage in the church. If you're looking for that, I mean, it's there, you don't have to look for it much, but you can also see on the opposite end, you can see all the good stuff that church does for people like myself that helped, you know, support my mother and I, when we were impoverished or anything like that, like there's a lot of good that could come out of it. If we, like I said, if we let humans be good, then they can be good. But once other things take over and then that divisiveness starts, it kind of, it grows. Anything that you water was going to grow, right? So if, right. We're, if we're putting, if like physical fitness, if you're putting energy into that, that's going to grow. And then your mental health capacity is going to get, probably get better. And your yeah oxygen levels, everything's going to happen well for you. If you're trying to, well, for the most part, if you're trying to, to do good and be good, then that's going to help yourself and your neighborhood and the world, you know, little by little. So I think that was the hope of the band was to do that through our music and to vent, of course, I'm venting and saying, I don't like this, you know, here's why. But really it's a, it it was, I think it was spawned from a message of hope and to take that out to the nation and to have fun just doing punk rock, being stupid and, you know, jumping around, breaking ankles and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, it was coming from a place of communication, you know, and that. So. You're processing too. I mean, I think that's a way it to is. process. It's catharsis. It yeah. mm-hmm. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely a lot of toxicity within the fitness culture world as well. There's yeah. a lot of parallels between the church and fitness. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I, it's kind of like how everybody was calling CrossFit a cult for a while. There's some dogmatism that goes on there. That's, totally. It gets calcified and sometimes that can be toxic and can lend to a lot of bad information or just bad mm-hmm. ideology, period. Mm-hmm. And then everybody disperses into their own little groups. Yep. Yep. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you too, is because I'm always fascinated by what people do after music. It's cool to see the parallels associated with all the things that people do after music. Yeah. And to talk to you about food and the fact that you're an executive chef now, it's called Harvest Kitchen. Is that correct? I don't own it, but I'm the, yeah, but I'm the executive chef for, it's a boutique catering company. And we focus on, we do focus on healthful diet and stuff like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. We make like juicy hamburgers too and stuff like that, but, um, you know, hopefully that's healthy, man. It's all good. I mean, yeah, everything, everything in moderation, right. Just like, yes. So absolutely. um, we, but we try to source organic and grass fed and, you know, biologically sound and biodiesel, like just trying to be more mindful of all that stuff. Um, basically a, a healthful balance of everything. So like I make a ton of tacos, but we also make a ton of salads and vegan food for our corporate lunches. So it's all in balance. And then the, the meats are sourced, you know, ethically sourced this whole other conversation about meats and stuff like that, but they're biodynamic and all this kind of stuff. So it's a little bit more expensive food because of the production and the process, but it's not crap. There's no crap <laughs> basically. You know? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still making desserts and everything like that, but there's no like bad stuff in it. 
you know? So, Very cool. So I'll yeah, that's... And then teaching, there's a teaching element too. So I try to train students and interns and job placement and stuff like that. There's always a tinge of my message from the band was the hope that people could get better and do better and be their best person, building a better person, right? Yeah. So I try to put that into the kitchen also. And there's something to be said about doing your best with whatever you're doing at that current moment, you know, mm-hmm. really putting your all into it. There is also a lot of skill acquisition, which is cool. So you're teaching people. How does that work as far as teaching people? Do you have people that come and work for you or help you guys yeah. cater these events? Yeah. Well, I teach, I have a credential to teach in schools. So I could, t- I could go to any school or nonprofit program or anything like that and teach food safety management or, you know, HR stuff or anything like anything that they need to be taught as far as culinary food service stuff, I can teach it. But I also bring in people from nonprofit organizations that work with culinary and food service industry people to do internships and then job placement, either with my company or job placements with all the the network of chefs and caterers that I know. So basically keeping people employed. So there's less recidivism, you know, so because a lot of the people that at the nonprofits in the culinary world are either, you know, foster care youth or previously incarcerated youth or young adults. So I try to work with anything from anywhere from 16 to 24 year old. I mean, they could be older or younger, but that's kind of the main age range for a lot of the nonprofits, youth oriented training, because then those people will grow, get older into their twenties, and then hopefully retain jobs and then train other people. And it keeps going in that way. So my role as is almost like an, as an executive is mostly like a, an older mentor to these incoming chefs or anything like that. So that's amazing. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say you're a mentor. That's cool. Ripple effects, right? Hopefully just, so. Yeah. It just expands beyond you, right? You're doing yeah. good things for the world. That's awesome. That's really cool. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. And plus it just gives these people an opportunity to manifest destiny. One of the things that was cool about COVID, this is kind of like going off on a side tangent, but what was cool around town was you had a lot of local restaurants being really, really creative with how they were serving their customers Yeah, and they were all trying to be as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. So you had people creating food trucks and things where you could just go pick up the food or they would deliver the food. Yeah, You had a lot of people, individual chefs from restaurants and things and pastry chefs, they would make stuff out of their own kitchen. It was kind of like word of mouth advertising where you could just show up to a house and pick up some baked goods. And we were doing uh-huh. that a lot, which is really cool. And Lawrence, it's just a small community. So everybody knows somebody that knows somebody in this town, which is really cool. Yeah. And it was interesting to see the level of creativity that was happening, you know, and people were really wanting to support one another for the most part in that scenario. There was a period of time where everything was shut down here for so long. And I think you guys are probably shut down for even longer, right? During COVID. Yeah, it's been an interesting ride, you know, because we also have a food truck. So we, we were able to use that at like breweries because, you know, the our kitchen is right next to like a ton of the San Diego breweries. So for them to stay open, they had to have food to serve the customers mm-hmm. for them to be in operation. So we try to partner up and help each other out by we would take the food truck out to their restaurant or to their brewery and then they could stay open, basically. Um, yeah, just combine then, forces. Yeah. And then I try to allow other chefs or people who do pop-ups like people who don't have a restaurant or a truck to come on my truck and do you know do their thing so it's not just like i said it's not just my show it's not it's a collaborative effort with with the community of chefs and i try to do music pairings with on events and stuff like that you know playlists or have live music or anything like that just because it adds another element to the fun and to the experience of you know why the food is good or why the drink is good you know yeah it's like multiple sensory a sensory overload in, in the best way possible. That's rad. Yeah. And it's gotta be fun for you too, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The podcast, I would imagine it's the same thing, right? You're collaborating, you're hitting people yeah. up. You're like, hey, I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. this, you know? And I find it to be the same thing. As I get older, that's the thing that I want to do more of, to stay connected to people, more collaboration, because why not? You know, kind of right. what we were going back to earlier, you're allowed to do that. And it's easier than ever because there's so many sources of ways exactly. of connection and connecting and things like that. Yep. Was that one of the reasons you wanted to start the podcast? Because you wanted to yeah. sort of highlight I mean, food I, and music? Yeah, exactly. So food and music is life. Yes. It, it, it's kind of a play on everything that I do. It's family. So it's the word, but you know, in the kitchen, when we make a meal for everyone, it's the family meal. You know, and then at the end of the acronym, or is it an acrostic? Anyways, at the end of the word family, I say yes. So because in the kitchen, we also say that a lot. Yes. Like, you know, if you heard something, they go, yes, chef. Or I go, you know, one more cup of sugar. Yes. Or something like that. And they go, yes. So it's in the kitchen a lot. And then also food and music is life. That's just my two careers, you know, intersecting. Right. So it's all in that word. And then another tagline is like, it's the punk chef, because that's the people find out chef, you were in a band or chef, you're a punk rocker, you know, this kind of stuff. So it's kind of a play on everything. So one morning in January, I just woke up and I said, I should just do a podcast to not that it's like just so easy that anyone can do it. But like, I was already talking to all these people about food pairings and music pairings. And I was already doing that. And I wanted to talk to other people in the industry who have a similar background, whether it's they're punk and now they do food stuff or whatever. Like I just had those, you know, the coffee guys that were in a bunch of hardcore bands and then, um, or chefs, chefs who also not only used to be in bands, but, or punk rockers who used to be in the food service industry or vice versa or whatever. Anyone who kind of has both careers somehow intertwined, but then people that I have talked to have also only done one or the other. There's not like an intersection, but we talk about how they could or how I could pair their music with this food or whatever. So I think it's just been a creative process for myself when I'm not able to go on tour or play concerts necessarily. I mean, I guess I could now, but it's a lot easier in the fact that I could just kind of call somebody up, you know, or do a Zoom like this and then do some minor production tweaks and then send it out to the world. So it's almost like I'm making another, I'm making a song or whatever, but I'm collaborating with you on putting out a conversation and then I put some music on it. And, you know, my kids like help me somewhat. They make some of the songs and beats that I put on the front and back of the episode. That's right. Yeah, it's been kind of fun to be able to produce something to create, you know, to keep creating. Cause I can't, I can't necessarily, I can't, I guess I could, but I can't really cook in my kitchen 24 hours a day, which is my main creative outlet, but I could do stuff like this pretty on the regular, you know, yeah, talking on the phone or just having a text conversation. So it's been a little bit more accessible is what I should say, instead of easy, been a little bit more accessible and realistic to be able to do my podcast versus trying to put out a record or something like that. Cause that's very collaborative with multiple people and, you know, money and stuff like that too. So sure. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of moving parts for making an album. Right. But this is yeah. Low barrier to entry. Do you think with people like us, we have some sort of compulsory need to create? (laughs) Well, I mean, compulsory, and inherent if you plus we were already doing it for so long like with the, with the bands and the touring it's like you get that itch and it's and it is almost like again physical fitness of muscle memory of like if i don't write songs for a long time and i'm i'm not even playing an instrument if i don't write songs i'm not exercising that part of my brain and yeah or my hand or anything like that, or, you know, for writing or typing or what, or my vocal cords, that stuff atrophies. And, you know, it's going to eventually just kind of get lost. It'll be there somewhere, but it's going to be hard to dig it out or to bulk it up again. Right. Sure. And so once I start getting into a groove of, Oh, I just wrote every day for a week in my book or whatever the case may be, 
it comes back naturally. And then once you like produce a song and get it out, like a couple of St. Didica songs on Bandcamp or whatever, it's like, Ooh, I want to do more. That was fun. That was adrenalizing. And you know, all the other endorphins that go through your brain when you have a good workout or when you, when you produce something great, or even if you put out like even back in the day, when we put out a CD, it's like, no matter how good or bad it was, it's like, we did this. And it, I, I think it's amazing because it happened. It actually, it's content and it's happened. And it's awesome that it's out. So not every single song or CD is amazing, but you still did it. And some people can't ever say that. So, some people will never be able to say that they did it. And you did, you know? <laughs> Dude, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it's life-giving, right? You do get yeah. all those positive hormones from it. The idea of having this thing that wasn't there that now is there. Boom. And I love the idea of creating something out of nothing. You know, uh-huh. a song yeah. is this magical thing where it's magic almost. You don't really know where it's coming from. It's coming from some sort of subconscious, unconscious part <laughs> of you, yeah. this idea. And then you just start layering things on top of it. And all of a sudden it kind of makes sense within the parameters of a song, quote unquote. But yeah, I think the podcast, I get the same rush of endorphins in the same way Mm -hmm. when I'm done editing a podcast and I'll listen to it. It's the exact same feeling I got from listening back to a song. And I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of really cool stuff that was discussed within that hour or so. Just, exactly. It's awesome to just put that out into the world. It's There's just something cathartic about that. It has something mm-hmm. to do with the creative process. I mean, you nailed it. I can see there's clear parallels between music and food too. Oh yeah. And oh, you yeah. probably have seasons where you're making food and I don't know, do you feel like you're going through the motions sometimes, but then you'll change it up or you'll have those really inspired moments where you try something new and... Sure. Yeah. I think that at being a catering chef, especially it's a little bit more leeway than being a restaurant chef in some ways, but you know, if we're selling a hundred weddings in a year or whatever the case may be, whatever the exact number is, a lot of those times you're going to be making the same thing for a hundred people at a time or, or whatever that number is. So really making thousands and thousands of servings of the same thing. And, you know, so you get it and it becomes rote you know, memory, but yeah. um, every once in a while I'll tweak it with a different sauce or spice and, or change it seasonally to add the different seasonal fruits. Um, oh, Cause that's another thing we try to keep is very seasonal. Cause we have a lot of farms around here that we can take advantage of with their, their produce. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a very bountiful harvest in Southern California to choose from. And so I think that in that aspect, it's cool because you know, that just, you know, in, in two or three more months, you're going to have this whole another different kind of round of produce so whatever stone fruit or you know different kind of lettuce even or fish is seasonal sometimes too so i'm learning a lot about that but as far as like doing it over and over and over it's almost like playing your hit song yeah did you see the movie chef yes yeah so you know he's like you go to a rolling stones concert and you need to see the set you need to they don't play satisfaction everyone's gonna you know have a right or whatever so like you gotta, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you gotta play the hits uh, to it's a great movie the, the masses it's a good movie it's it's somewhat unrealistic in some aspects but like at the same time i get the point that they're trying to make with all the stuff it's like the chef wants to create and the musician wants to write new music the musician wants to play their new record you know, you go see yeah. Thrice play and they got all, they always have a new record that they're touring, but everyone wants to hear their old stuff and um, for good reason, but the new stuff's equally as good. It's just not nostalgic, you know, yeah. it's not, the, it's not the hit. It's not the banger, but um, even though it is at the same time, like if I make a new menu item, I'm excited about it because it's a new one. I want everyone to try it, but also in the catering and wedding world, the sales manager has sold this wedding like a year ago. So they already have a menu from a year ago. 
So no matter how much new stuff I make, it's going to be a year or two before someone sees that plate on a, at a wedding. Wow. <laughs> so it's almost like a song production. Like if you wrote a song, then you go to the out the studio to record that six months later, it's still going to take a while for that record to come out. Right. Some, that's the similar parallel to that. It's like, I'm going to make this new appetizer, for example, we're going to taste it, sell it. Okay. Then, the, but their wedding is not till a year from now. Like, oh shoot, I'm going to have my mind changed by then. I'm, sure. I'm not even going to like that appetizer anymore or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it might even be a different season, right? Sometimes it is. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, just so you know, this is not going to taste like this in October or I see. I'm not going to have this stone fruit in December. So stuff like that. I haven't even thought about that, but that makes perfect sense. The fact that it may just not be available, right? Or right. whatever is yeah. available. It's like if you're using strawberries at different times of the year, it's going to taste mm-hmm. different, right? Or from yeah, a different that's... country. They'll be from a different country. Right. Yeah. They're outsourcing it from a different place, entirely Mm -hmm. different climate. That's crazy. Yeah. But that makes perfect sense. Do you guys do a lot of weddings? I'm sure you guys do a lot of weddings, right? Yeah. Weddings are, we do a lot of weddings and that's a bigger event with more budget to make all the foods and stuff like that. We do a lot of small events. We do a lot of like film productions. A lot of people shoot films and commercials down here in San Diego, like at the beach and stuff. So we provide catering for the crew and the, you know, the actors and stuff. So those those happen sporadically, but that's kind of the niche thing that we do. That's actually how I met the companies. I was walking along the beach and the food truck was there. I'm like, what, what is this doing here? They they told me all about it. They're filming commercial. Cool. And that's how I got involved with them. (laughs) Serendipity, right? I love that. That's rad. What year was that? Oh man, that was, that must've been seven years ago that I met the company. And then then we didn't talk. And then I I hired the company to cater for my nonprofit organization that I was working with for the job training. And then I hired him like two years in a row to cater the gala. And then I started working with them as a gig on event basis. And then just maybe the end of 2019, I got hired on as the executive chef, you know, we had been talking and they're like, Hey, would you want to do this? I was like, yeah, you know, sure. Cause that's fun. I had just been doing independent stuff like punk rock DIY teaching and culinary pop-ups and stuff like that until then. So I was like, yeah, I'll just take the, I'll take the whole role. I'll take the whole thing on, you know? And so still there. Congrats, man. That's really cool. When did you get into food? I know I'm asking a lot about food, but I think it's fascinating the transition from being in a band to, (laughs) yeah, I think that's really cool. Was it a seamless transition or was there a bit of a gap in between? I mean, it was both. Even on our very first tour, I was cooking for everybody at people's houses or whatever I was, because we would need to eat dinner and we didn't have money to go out necessarily on, on the very first tour. So we would just barbecue and stuff like that. So I used what little knowledge I had to do that. And then I was just always crazy. And so I was always trying to create stuff and what if you put peanut butter on this hamburger or whatever, you know, sometimes things worked and sometimes people hated me, for it. but you know, you don't do that. But in between tours, I would also come back home and work in the industry, coffee shops okay. or bus boy or whatever. Cause to me, they were like, you know, it was like jobs that I could kind of come and go, you know, because oh, yeah. I wanted the band to be my, my number one priority. And it was for, I was full-time with the bands for about maybe up to close to a decade or so. Yeah. More than a little more than a decade as far as being full time. Yeah. Wow. Um, I know it's crazy. That's really crazy when you think about it, because we actually did a total of officially 10 full length records. Wow. In about a little over a decade, which is seems like a little bit too much to do in a day, like almost on average one record per year. So that's crazy. Um, That is crazy. You guys are yeah. like Tupac. <laughs> We're still doing like records. 20 albums in five yeah. years or something. I look at his discography and I'm like, holy shit. How did he do that? He's, he's still putting them out. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Somehow. Yeah, that's rad. And mid nineties, I'm sure you guys were listening to a lot of the skate punk of the era. 
Mm-hmm. What was your first introduction to labels like Epitaph and Fat? Mm, to be honest, it was before I was even like, quote unquote, punk rock. I was listening to a lot of metal and, and rap, not rap core necessarily, but like t- the two different genres of metal and rap and excuse me. Of the um, early nineties. So, oh yeah. Eighties, nineties, being in Southern California, that was all around me without even trying to look for it. It was all, it was always there. And yeah. I started getting into the more I got into skating, surfing, and snowboarding all the the soundtrack to those videos was this kind of music punk rock um, mo- it was mostly like the epitaph bands and there was a couple local bands that got on the surf and skate videos like blink and sprung monkey and stuff like that but then mm-hmm. also a lot of the bands that they were putting on the videos were from southern california so like for example pennywise and bad religion they're both from orange county los angeles and then all the other bands that copied had that same similar sound i mean yeah. if you think about like some of my favorite or t- if you think about your top five or whatever first punk bands that you heard in that era it was probably they're all from they might all be from southern california you know until you start expanding and exploring then realizing there's more bands out there and other labels too but uh, for the most part it was those videos and so i would get these snowboarding videos and i would be like whoa i really like this music because i was really getting into snowboarding and i wanted to go pro and i was also like when i go pro as a snowboarder i want to have a sound i want to have music on here that i want to pick my songs from these bands that sounds like this or whatever you know if i have a crash reel i want the crash songs to be like the crash reel to have this song and wait a minute now that josh asked me to be in this band the other josh asked me to be in the band i could write songs to be the soundtrack for these people writing <laughs> writing the snowboards yeah. and stuff like that. so I got to be in a lot of, I ended up being in some of the videos, like the music. I mean, I didn't, I never went pro because I broke my arm really bad and never, you know, it kind of scared me away from the sport, but sure. you know, we, we got to go on tour and, and when we toured Colorado, they would take us out snowboarding and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Right. Yeah, so that was like a dream come true, but really it was those videos that introduced me, I think to the majority of it. I, I heard early stuff like clash on the radio and maybe some other stuff that I can't remember on the radio, but really the first punk on the radio was for me was probably the clash and I loved it, but then I kind of forgot about it. My mom really listen to like you know classic kind of rock and other stuff like that and but when i discovered it i really dove in you know green yeah. day bad religion and then you start getting older stuff into misfits and more clash and you know all the other los angeles bands and stuff like that so and it was just a, a slippery but fun slope from there <laughs> oh yeah it was an exciting time for sure i mean I even I'm sure it was exciting for you discovering all these bands, but then to be one of those influential mm-hmm. bands of the late 90s into the early 2000s in what became the tooth and nail scene, yeah. it kind of had its own lane and had its own category. Sure. But I was listening to a lot of these bands together. I remember when I first discovered you guys, I'd been listening to Epitaph bands and Fat Wreck bands and stuff like that. And I was a huge Green Day fan, but I think you guys, it was like the next iteration. I think the next wave of bands that I discovered were The Slick Shoes, MXPX, Mm -hmm. Craig's Brother, and then Dogwood. I'm sure that was exciting too, because that was something that just blossomed and blew up in the late 90s. And I'm sure you guys played Cornerstone and all that. Do you have any memorable experiences from the late 90s signing to tooth and nail yeah let me think here so because since we were on the other since we were on rescue records we didn't we weren't like in that tooth and nail family from the beginning but we knew we kind of were on the outskirts of the family because you know we would always play with those bands when they would come through or go to cornerstone or whatever we were always around each other mxpx and slick shoes and stuff like that and so we're we're always homies just on a different label yeah you know being on being on the label uh tooth and nail obviously put them together and touring and stuff like that. So they were tighter. So we were always kind of like parallel, not necessarily at the same 
popularity level as any of them or whatever it's a it was like a parallel universe right and then but since we were friends with them they were always telling the label brandon you should sign dogwood but they should get on blah, blah blah so they didn't really start pursuing us i don't think until they saw maybe they saw the crowd reaction at like cornerstone or maybe a show in southern california or something like that because i don't know we all kind of started around the same time i mean slick shoes was maybe a little bit after us because ryan's a lot younger but mxpx i remember how to a record out on tooth and nail when we were just about to put out our first record and then um it was a, a crazy different time because there wasn't a lot of you know skate punk bands there was punk but there wasn't like this kind of skate punk sound bands that were in that era yet you know because yeah. i feel like it was a little bit early in that scene for um that much at least as far as getting it out to the world they might have been exist they, they existed and of course i mean bands like pennywise started in like 1989 so they were around they were there and that's obviously where we got our sound from. So, but we, I don't know, we, we got to, you know, we put out the two records on rescue and then did an independent record and then, and then got signed to tooth and nail shortly thereafter because the independent one was actually, we were trying to go to the majors and then, Oh really? Uh, yeah. That's why we did the, the independent one was almost like a, it was almost like a, demo it was independent for sure but it was kind of like showing you know the we had a stint with a manager that was trying to really push that and that it didn't really work out in that relationship so that's yeah. kind of why we kept we kept the independent record to ourselves instead of you know demoing it to to atlantic like it was the plan but if you know if you look at that record like preschool days on that record is radio length we added space to that song to make it longer yeah and that's why so it's because it was going to be the single you know um, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, so a punk band with specific sites to make a single it doesn't always work out necessarily unless you get that big break you know so we kept it to ourselves and then went to tooth and nail so we kind of put that record aside and then that's we put out a record with tooth and nail the first one and then that's when that independent one came back out as a face down record because it was, oh, okay. already out. it was already there in existence so so jason didn't really jason from face down didn't really have to do much to it to make it a record he just you know paid to get it pressed again and stuff like that so yeah it's kind of cool but yeah the transition was it was a good good era to do that you know because then we got we had a lot of opportunity with tooth the nail to play with bands even who weren't on tooth the nail we got a lot, on a lot of shows in san diego with our favorite bands you know on fat records and stuff like that so yeah we played with almost all the bands almost all the punk bands that came into san diego we played with you know even like melancholon and stuff like that too so that's it awesome. awesome it was really cool yeah 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 i pay a lot of money to see dogwood open for melancholon now that would be a lot of fun <laughs> i feel like last time i saw melancholon was 2000 it was on an epitaph tour I think that was the oh, last wow. time. Okay. Such a great band. Yeah. Such a great band. So great. Yeah. And you guys played with MXPX a few years ago, right? Was that 2016 or 2017? I remember. Oh, yeah. That was, um, what was that? 2017 must have been early. Okay. Yeah. And it was you guys and Five Iron and it was on, did you guys play yeah. a couple shows with them? We played two. I know they, okay. I thought they'd been doing kind of the weekend gigging because I know two they of them were yeah. band. Cool. How did that yeah. happen? Did Mike just hit you up? Yeah. He, really? He, he called me out of the blue. He called me, I think their manager had reached out a couple of times about playing with Five Iron Frenzy and it just, it never really worked out the, our timing to do it with him. And then finally Mike hit me up and was like, Hey, you know, we're going to be coming to your area January. And I said, I'll see. And he wanted the, they wanted the core line, the core lineup from Tooth and Nail. So it was before Danny had joined, it was Russell, Jason, and Sean. Was, and Sean O'Donnell. Did, yeah. So they were, that was the lineup from the first three records on Tooth and Nail. And so they're like, we want to do it kind of like that. So it's kind of like a, a Tooth and Nail kind of ish. Re I mean, yeah, not necessarily Tooth and Nail reunion, but like that lineup of musicians. And so we played songs from those records, Red. but it was cool. We did two shows, one in our hometown and one in Ventura with them and they were sold out. And it was just, 
it was a fun time just to have a bunch of old friends on stage with us and seeing people from the scene now, you know, older yeah. with kids and stuff like that. <laughs> of course, man. That's great. Walking out, pulling it's... hamstrings. <laughs> Try not to pull hamstrings, right? Try not to, yeah. Yeah, dude, I think that speaks to the legacy of Dogwood and that time period because I think it's smart of MXPX to, if they can, to get some of these bands yeah. to reunite of sorts and play together because we all remember that time and era. I think of bands individually. I have my favorite bands that I listen to and I listened to a lot of music back then. It makes sense for me personally to think MXPX, Five Iron Frenzy and Dogwood playing a show together. That's something that really <laughs> excites me, you know, Yeah. in the same way that it would excite me if Lagwagon and a band like Bad Cop, Bad Cop played together now, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like mm -hmm. a kind of, yeah. not that you have to play with bands that you were once on a record label with. I mean, obviously that doesn't happen either. And you can have a lot of different packages and things, but I think it speaks to the legacy of that time period and the bands that we were all listening yeah. to. It just culminates it together mm -hmm. and it blends together. And there are a lot of parallels there, but yeah. that's really cool. I think it's cool what you're doing now with your new project. Are there any people that you would love to collaborate with that you just haven't hit up yet? Yeah, totally. I mean, anybody, everybody really like this latest one I have, I can't really divulge all the secrets, but I got to sing. I can say that I got to sing with Matt Aragon, you know, who we named that album after he's, he's yeah. actually a singer. He sings in a band called Namesake. And he, so he sings a duet with me on this, on another song that we're about to put out. And then with cool. a bunch of other people playing the music. But it was really cool because I did a song with, I did a, like a video collab with a bunch of guys, like a gym drum for the Crucified and the Blamed. And then Marcos from POD and Sunny from POD. And then the singer Corey from Norma Jean and Mikey from Islander and myself, we did, we all did a covered a Crucified song. And, and so it was on a video, we did like a video, one of those Instagram TV videos, you know, yeah, um, IGTV. So we put that out like last May. So that was really fun just to collaborate with everyone. It kind of sparked my idea of my interest of getting other friends to send me songs to sing on, or they have a song that's already done. And I just, I could just do a verse. And I was like, I'm going to make a, I'm just going to reach out to, like I reached out to hardcore kids and a couple of country guys and rap guy, rap people and spoken word artists and said, I want to do stuff together. You know, I yeah. want to do more stuff with more people that don't sound like me or look like me or, or have the same genre as me or anything like that. Because I think it's a way to grow as an artist and as a creator is to push yourself into push your boundaries and, you know, experiment yeah. a little bit. And, you know, I just think that it's smart to, I think it's smart to collaborate, you know, absolutely. So get in different so you arenas. Get you won't get stuck. Right. Yeah. You don't want to stay stuck, especially creatively. It's good to, like mm -hmm. you said, push yourself a little bit and you mm -hmm. discover things about yourself within that, the push, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's one of those things where if it's slightly uncomfortable, maybe you're headed in the right direction. <laughs> maybe yeah. so. Yeah. Hope so. Yeah. And are you a big quicksand fan? thought I saw maybe you were. I am. I'm a huge fan. I got the new record. The new record's amazing. I love it. I would. I would love to collaborate with anyone from that band. I was going to um, say, you should hit them up, yeah. man. Hit up everything Walter. They, everything, everything they touch is golden. And, you know, I was pretty stoked to get, like, I just talked to Jim Ward from Sparta and at the drive-in. Yeah. Um, because I hit him up because he owns a restaurant, you know, in, in Texas. Texas. So I was like, so yeah. So I was like, hey, this is perfect. You're perfect. I, I'm a huge fan of the music. And, you know, he collaborates with artists because he's a solo artist. And then he also, he has his own, like, Instagram kind of podcast called Friday Beers. So mm -hmm. he just, he just gets with other artists and talks for like an hour on Fridays and drinks beer with him. So he's like already kind of doing a similar vibe. And I was like, dude, this is perfect. We need to talk. And he's like, yeah, sure. You know? So yeah. 
I think that, that that's kind of inspiring, you know, I mean, I would love to make music with him too, but I don't know if I, I feel like a person like him might be, a, it's, it's almost like out of my league in a sense. Like, what, <laughs> what would I do? What would no, I it's do not Josh. Well, I mean, what way I, I can't picture, I can't picture that collab in, in a sense, because he has a certain sound of music that I love and I can't, I've never made a sound like that. So it's almost like intimidating in, in a sense. So, but I, don't, like I said, I want to push myself into those directions, you know? So yeah. somebody like, like it would make sense to say somebody from game time, let's do a song together. Cause we kind of have a similar sound, but yeah. if it would be, it'd be, but I did reach out to somebody from like, you know, Zayo or be well and say like, let's do something together. Or I try to do songs in Spanish or other people from around the world. So like, that's only going to make, hopefully make me better as a creator, as an artist, you know, to be, yeah. to be more creative, you know? Dude, absolutely. I love Jim's <laughs> new solo record too. Yeah. I could actually, I could envision your voice meshed with that style of music and it would be rad. <laughs> It'd be really cool. Yeah, no, he's a very talented musician. I was a massive at the drive-in fan. I mean, I mm-hmm. still am. Big fan of Sparta as well. I feel like Sparta is one of those hidden gems for a lot of people. They, yeah. If you really jump into their discography, some of those songs I feel like are just arena rock quality. Should have yeah. been a massive, massive, huge band, but <laughs> that's cool. And it is one of those things where it is a little intimidating, stepping outside your box a little bit, but <laughs> cool at the same time. I actually train a couple, I train a lot of musicians, which is kind of cool. Like they kind of gravitate yeah. Towards me, which makes sense over the years. I've been a musician, so I've made a lot of friends that are musicians. But I've trained the drummer for the Casket Lottery. He's the current drummer for the Casket Lottery, and they put out a fantastic record last year. So good. So good. And yeah, I'm just a massive fan. And every other day, I want to start writing music like that, but (laughs) it's completely out of my wheelhouse. Like it would just be a total experiment. So I understand that feeling a lot. Mm -hmm. But if you and Walter join forces and put out a song, (laughs) You gotta let me know because I'm gonna be into that. I love that record, that new record. That's all I've been listening to lately. Yeah, it's something like he has a he has a knack. Walter and Sergio have a knack for writing. It almost sounds like very simple song music, but it's very compelling. It's very yes, dry. It's a driving timber. I don't know what it is. Like it's just like two chords that they're banging banner banner. So it could be yeah. super hardcore if they put like if he screamed over it or it could be super mellow if he was like singing even lighter over it but he has that like middle i don't know it's not simple but it's but as a musician i i can hear that it's a simple simply written song yeah uh, but but they just execute it so perfectly and powerfully so yeah. that's that's what's always inspiring about quicksand it's like dude there's like two chords in the song right you know? and but, i know i've heard those chords before but this sounds <laughs> new and fresh in some right? capacity it's yeah. the first time i've ever heard within that particular something about the rhythm or something about what they're putting the emphasis on mm-hmm. you know it's like the first single they released inverted Inverted, so good. Yeah, it's like those three chords. I know I've heard those three chords before, but in that order, the way they're playing them, the way it's recorded, it's very exciting. It's something that I don't hear very often. So you're right, like compelling is a great word for it. Yeah. And he's <laughs> vegan, right? I've, Walter, yeah, I think I I've learned, it's funny too, because most of the people that I've talked to now on the podcast are the musicians, they've all been vegan or vegetarian. I'm like, oh, what, are we, what am I learning here? You know, <laughs> eating clean. Well, you probably have experimented with a lot of different vegan and vegetarian items mm-hmm. and food yeah. and things like that. I was oh, a vegetarian yeah. for a year and a half. I have since gravitated back to meat, but I definitely think it expanded my palate. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned that I think it expanded my palate as far as like what I'm comfortable consuming. I mean, I'm from the Midwest, so vegetarian, mm-hmm. being a vegetarian, it can be easy and difficult depending on where you're at, you know, right. and yeah. even harder for vegan, but that's gotta be fun. 
too, like experimenting with vegan and vegetarian options and things like that. Yeah, that's, it is. It's, I always have it on the menu, no matter where we are, have something vegetarian, at least vegetarian, not always vegan, but sure. a lot of Mexican cuisine is actually leaning in that direction. I mean, it always has been uh, historically until they got, you know, conquered, colonized and the people brought pigs over and stuff like that. So like that kind of came into the diet, but a lot of historically it's been of the earth, corn, squash, beans, all the, the three sisters. Um, it's and what's very, the protein source generally? Is, uh, from, it, is it the legumes and beans? Yeah. From, from the starches themselves, proteins that are in the starches and the legumes. And then, I mean, there was meat, but you know, also historically they were eating humans, but, um, but, uh, that was, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't say vegetarian or vegan or plant-based diet. They were just living and, right. you know, circle of life consuming the earth and everything like that. So not like, not everybody was doing that. I'm just saying like, that was one of the sources of protein. One of the sources of meats was people. So yeah. good protein. Anyway, how do we get there? How do we get there? So, yeah. So, um, I do a lot of vegetarian and vegan cooking and, and I would say 50% of our menus are, we do a lot of the corporate lunch programs that, and the one big company we have is Dr. Bronner's soap company. And they, that menu is 100% vegan, gluten-free and organic. So, wow. and that's a lot of meals a week, you know, that's a uh, 600 meals a week. Wow. So, so that's a lot of production to, to make that all happen. Yeah. 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 And there's a certain level of exclusivity, I would imagine with that, because doing 600 meals a week that are of all the items that you mentioned, vegan, gluten-free, organic, that's a, an expensive proposition, but I'm sure there are people who are, <laughs> yeah. that are willing to pay for it, you know, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, being a health professional, that's certainly exciting for me. Yeah. I don't know. I have a lot of clients that eat meat. They're all from the Midwest as well, but mm-hmm. I've got a couple of vegetarians and we've worked with vegans before and stuff, especially like online training with the nutrition consulting that we do. Yeah. So that's cool, man. That's really cool. Do you find yourself cooking vegetarian food at home? We do. I try to do at least once or twice a week of full full vegetarian sometimes vegan meals but also like when we have a balanced plate it's like more vegetables than meats on, on the actual full balanced plate because we're i have athletes my kids are been doing athletics so i need to give them a certain calorie count and proteins like that that i can't always get from non-meat I'm, and this is a, this is an argument that could go on for you know d- a debate i should say that could happen with a, a nutritionist but like I don't want to always be adding protein powder to their shakes and stuff like that to, to supplement because like, yeah. I feel like pea protein or, or whey protein is like a lot different than the actual, like the fibers and proteins and iron that we're going to get from certain things. And, you know, and I'm not for or against, you know, anyone's diet or habits or anything like that, but I'm like, I don't, I don't need them to argue with me about what I'm feeding my kids and stuff like that, you know, cause I already sure. know, the, I already know the value and, and the, the bad and the good about the whole of, of all the sides of the argument. And we're not feeding them McDonald's and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm right. thoughtful and I'm and intentional intentional and and purposeful too right yeah no and, I love that you mentioned yeah absolutely dude I love that you mentioned in terms of a plate a balanced plate which is something I think gets lost within our culture here in America we don't think of it as a balanced plate or even balanced macronutrients mm-hmm. you know that's something mm-hmm. I'm educating people on a lot just the differences between fats proteins and carbohydrates and yeah what they're purpose can be how it fuels our lives, how it fuels our activity, that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, I completely understand. And you're right. That is a huge debate, but I have a lot of colleagues that in the broad scope of a large, healthy diet, they tend to be less dogmatic as time Uh moves on instead of more dogmatic. Generally, I find that a lot of green trainers, they're a little bit more dogmatic and calcified in their beliefs when it comes to food. Mm. But yeah, you have people that try not to supplement as much, you know, just try to get more sources from real food and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you gave your dog 
got her a, I was just thinking about it now, a rival school shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking yep, exactly. of quicksand and Walter. I know, right? That's rad. And dude, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for doing sure. this. I wanted to ask you again, what's it been like being a dad? I mean, you've been a dad now for a while. How old is your yeah. oldest? Oh, she's 17. 17. Yeah. So she's That's crazy, uh, man. I know. I was like, I always tell people like she's about the age that I was when I started doing punk rock stuff. So I mean, she's got, she's going to concerts and stuff too, so that's cool. But she right. wears a lot of she wears a lot of like dogwood merch and you know, her friends are like all you wear is dogwood, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I got to get you some new band shirts, you know? So I gave her the rival schools one and I'll go through my old collection and see what we got. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You got an old Pennywise shirt. Here you go. So I got, I got it all. Yeah. It's just that's... a matter of, does it fit, does it fit her versus, you know, my frame? But... Yeah. <laughs> what do they like to listen to? <laughs> They're into my youngest son is totally into like glass animals. And, you know, sometimes he'll listen to some of my hardcore records when he wants to get pumped. Yeah. And uh, my middle kid just listens to, he'll listen to whatever he isn't, he isn't, he's not like a music fan. It's Really, but it's funny because his name is Rhythm and <laughs> he's not a musician. Um, but he's into it, right? He's into like you know, TikTok stuff. And I try to get him to listen to things. So, everyone, everyone, if I go record shopping, I'll buy him a record. Like, I'll say, This one's yours, even though it's mine. I'll say, This, <laughs> your, this is your this is your copy of London Calling or whatever, or Ratatat or whatever. And then my daughter, listens, she, she's really good at music stuff. She listens, she makes playlists for people and listens to. She's like, I don't like the new Billie Eilish as much as she used to sound. And I was like, That was like a year ago. <laughs> um, she's like yeah she's changed so she loves she, she loves tame impala also glass animals and the frights so she likes some punk stuff but mostly like kind of chill down tempo stuff with a good groove she likes to be in the pocket you know yeah because <laughs> um, she, 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 she's she does she does piano and singing so she likes to feel the you know she wants to feel the song so like, cool. there's so much stuff to show you you know yeah. Yeah. She's going to educate you on music. I right? So. I tried to, yeah, to educate you. That's awesome, man. My partner, she's got a seven-year-old daughter and she really likes that song Heat Wave by Glass Animals. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally. the popular one at the moment. I like it. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I can get into it. I like Tame Impala. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a pretty popular band. I have Arctic a- Arctic Dude, I love Arctic Monkeys. Are you yeah. into that at all? Like, are you into kind of the yeah. Brit sound of the mid 2000s? Totally. Yeah. It came out, we were at a restaurant and somebody put that record on. And I was like, I told, I thought it was death from above 1979. I asked, uh, I asked the server, I was like, who put this record on? What is this death from above? And she, they had to go check. Cause they didn't know either. But like it's Arctic monkeys. They're like, no way. It sounded so cool. It was, yeah. I was very surprised. Cause it wasn't stuff they played on the radio. You know? Yeah. Was, I'm a little bit late to the game with Arctic monkeys, but I've been listening to them a lot lately. And I've kind of been going back and re-listening to the strokes. I kind of hated it when it came out, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. listening to that style of music at all, but now I go back retroactively and i'm just yeah. kind of obsessed with a lot of bands that sound like that it's a sound yeah for sure <laughs> well cool dude so i'm gonna hit you up to sing on a game time song i hope you'll do yeah. it send me something can we make it official right now is that cool if you send it we will come yeah. <laughs> it, we'll do it. i love it, it man happen. dude new music we do we're actually so we released a new song on friday and it's a song that i've had for a decade and just yeah. instrumental demos when i was teaching myself to record back around the 2011 2012 mark mm-hmm. and we recorded it i asked a friend of mine if it would even be possible to take the old files and finish it and complete it mm-hmm. and he said yeah let's do it that sounds like a nice. lot of fun. I want to get in yeah. there. And so me and Nick, we went in there and we sang it, uh, I guess a month ago. And then we just released it on Friday. It's a fast pop punk song. It's got nice. beat, you know? And yeah. 
So we were like, let's do another one. Let's do it. So we're going to do another one next Wednesday. Send it. I will, for sure. <laughs> All right, it's official, man. The bridge, I wanted to get you on it, but okay. if that was even a possibility, because we kind of mentioned, we talked about that a little bit ago, but I think it could be really cool. Do it. I, I can't wait to hear it. Collaboration, man. I love it. See? Yeah, we do it. Yeah, making it happen. <laughs> creating, it happen. creating something from nothing. It's, you know what? It's the best. It, it, it's game time. <laughs> <laughs> It is, yes. It's 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 late thirties, middle age time. You know, it's a game. It's some game. It's yeah, game. it's yeah. it's lower back pain time. Oh, seriously, sure. speaking my language now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, dude, I'll keep yeah. in touch. And okay. thank you so much for doing this. It was great reconnecting yeah, and chatting. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Hopefully, work is nice and smooth and amazing. I and so have a great week. Yeah, say hi to the guys. I will do. Okay. Sure, and I'll let you know when this goes up. Yeah. Cool, man. All right, buddy. All right, have a good one. All right, thanks. See you, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. Oh,